Hello and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. And I'm Val. Today we have special guest Blake Castleman with us. Hi. Welcome, Hi, Blake. Blake. Welcome. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about you. Well, I'm about five foot six. <laughs> <laughs> he likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> and I like pina coladas. <laughs> when they get caught in the rain? <laughs> no. <laughs> no one really likes getting caught in the rain. <laughs> No, I'm a I'm a screenwriter, and I co-own a production company called uh, Rare Legend Films. Uh, last year, we released a movie on Amazon called Adopting Trouble, and uh, I also run a screenwriting group here in Salt Lake City called Utah Film Writers. Awesome. And Adopting Trouble is fantastic. Yeah. It's a fun comedy. So it's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? Uh, not streaming. Oh, okay. Streaming soon, can, but now you bye. can... You can rent it or purchase digital. Highly copy. recommend checking that out. We're we're trying to get the DVD Blu-ray out, but oh, cool. uh, we're finding that when you distribute your own films, there's <laughs> there's a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good learning curve. That's nice. good. We're going through. That's good. Nice. We just you know people say when the DVD's coming out, we say uh, soon. <laughs> <laughs> We're building the anticipation. That's right. That's what we're doing. Now, Blake, we've wanted you on the show for a while now. And then when we asked you if you would come on, we asked you what movie you want to talk about. And you said the mission. Why do you want to talk about the mission today? I want to talk about the mission because I think it's a film that didn't receive the critical due it, it deserved back when it came out. And, and uh, you know, through the through this podcast, I want to dive into that a little bit okay, totally cool. uh, talk about you know how the film was received back in the day because it was a box office bomb oh yeah right mm -hmm. it was made for 25 million dollars this is back in the mid 80s it was made for 25 million dollars internationally it made only 17 million dollars wow. wow in fact when i saw it in the theater uh, i went on a saturday night it was one of the first times i I, I put on my brave face and <laughs> went and saw a movie by myself uh, because I couldn't find anyone who wanted to see it. Well, let's go see a movie about two Jesuit priests yes. back in the 1700s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I went on a Saturday night and I, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be embarrassing. We're going to have all this. They're going to have a theater full of people on dates. And it's just me. And I'm just going to be sitting there by myself and people are going to be looking at me saying, why is that guy in the theater by himself? And it was me and two other people. <laughs> and they were also by themselves. And On a is, Saturday night. Yeah, and this yeah. is crazy because if you were to release this film now with the names that are oh attached to gosh. it, I mean, Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, Liam Neeson, this movie would do fantastically. Yeah. Well, and, and Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons were big names back then. Mm -hmm. Right, but it's not what people knew them for, this movie. Exactly. Yeah. And in and, and, and the case of Robert De Niro, that's one thing that worked against the movie, at least from a critical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Right. Critics pushed back on, on De Niro being in this period film uh, that takes place in the 1750s, mm -hmm. playing a Jesuit priest where, you know, Acting across the set from Jeremy Irons, who was this very respected British British actor. very you know Academy Award, and 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 Robert De Niro had received his fair share of 
Academy Award nominations too. In fact, he had won for The Godfather too. Yeah, mm, right. But they, but they want to see him in gangster movies. That's yeah, what they right, want to see. Robert yeah, De Niro he was in. he was he was known for being in Scorsese films like Mean Streets mm-hmm. and Taxi Driver. Yeah, right. And the King of Comedy. He had won the Oscar. He'd won. I think he'd won his second Oscar for Raging Bull. Yeah, I believe a, so. A few yeah. years mm-hmm. before this film, I think that yeah. was eighty two. And so that's. And and I remember one critic at the time saying that that Robert De Niro uh, was miscast in this movie, and that's something that I disagreed with at the time. And I, you know, watching it again last night, I disagreed even more. I agree. Right? Well, he's he's fantastic in the film, but when I was watching it last night, I had a hard time even recognizing that it was Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like Robert De Niro. He didn't act like what you're used to seeing Robert De Niro do. So mm-hmm. I could see how that would be something that would turn off a lot of fans of his if you were following him. I don't know. I haven't seen the film since film school and I rewatched it. And before we get all serious about it, like he's hot, man. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, dang, Robert, like, how you doing? <laughs> and then it all got serious. And I was, I felt weird about oh. thinking that, but no, I mean, like they're all young. Liam Neeson's uh-huh. a baby oh, in this yeah. film. Oh yeah. yeah. He, he was hot, but he's also kind of possessive about his women. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know. I don't know. Well, and, and speaking of heartthrobs, Aiden Quinn. Yes. Oh, yes. Aiden yes. Quinn. That was a very he's small a role. He's a sneaky yes. actor. He just kind of shows up in films all the time. You're like, is that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it is. Aiden Quinn. He is it, like the ninja of like side actors because he's never. He's only been like the lead actor in like two movies. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. else, he's like the side actor that just kind of pops I up. I like the way you put that. It sounded like he kind of just sneaks on the set and just like shows up on <laughs> screen. Like, hey, guys. And everybody's like, well, he's good well, looking. He's, good. So we'll <laughs> he's saying these lines, and the script supervisor is going Wait, over what? the script. He's <laughs> freaking <laughs> out. It's cool. Keep it in. He just wanted a coffee. Let him stay. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. <laughs> he is a good looking man. <laughs> Uh, this, you know, kind of a odd side note. This, mm-hmm. there's a connection to this film, to one of my all-time favorite movies from the '80s called Excalibur, directed by John yes. Borman. Mm-hmm. Excalibur was the very first movie Liam Neeson was in. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and Excalibur also featured a young actress named Cherie Lungi. I think that's how her last name is spelled. Anyway, she played Guinevere. She is the woman. Carlotta, who is the, oh, yes. okay. the, the the woman that he the woman that for. comes between uh, the brothers uh, Mendoza yeah, Mendoza. And Mendoza that was the that's, last that's true Rodrigo and <laughs> yeah Rodrigo Mendoza Mendoza versus Mendoza yeah, Rodrigo and, and Felipe yeah, is, yeah. there is, we go so she Felipe. played she played that character so I thought that's that was cool that was a cool little I like that uh, tie into one of my favorite movies from that period as well. So I remember being introduced to this film in a really weird way. Um, I'm a big University of Utah athletics fan, especially football and basketball. And the head coach at the time, Rick Majerus, talked on the radio show on the pregame as we're going up to the game. He's talking about how he took his team to go see this art movie called The Mission about these Jesuit priests. And he's like, it seems really odd to take these kids to this kind of movie. But he was like, I wanted them to see something that was really powerful uh, Majerus was of the Jesuit faith, I believe, um, or at least his family was. He had some kind of tie there and him just gushing about this movie. And I was like, all right, that sounds kind of interesting. But I was still a little too young to go by myself. Um, so I didn't actually see it until film school. 
but I fell in love with it. In fact, when I taught film, um, I would show this every semester, every quarter to my students because I thought it was such an important, valuable film for them to see. I know. was a weird dude. Man. He was an odd duck. <laughs> he really was. But That's awesome, though. That he was very that. insightful about yeah. about stuff. He was also a real jerk about a lot of stuff and do a lot of people. I don't know anything about University but of Utah football, so. Basketball. Basketball, basketball or football or anything. <laughs> I know that the University of Utah exists. I know where the campus is. I don't know anything about the sports So sure, anyway, so I thought it was really odd that he'd spend his pregame talking about taking his kids to go see this That this is interesting. Movie, That's cool, but, though, that he would take some athletes to go see that and see what it's about. This, I feel like this film, and, and <coughs> when I went to USC and we had to, it was really funny because we watched this film for a couple of weeks, and then we watched um, the vampire movie... Lost Boys? Lost Boys. After mm. that. So I'm like, wow. Uh, <laughs> you didn't get to downshift at all. Two sides of the spectrum. Maybe. Yeah. So we did this movie and then we did Lost Boys. So I had wow. to do a paper on the mission and then I had to do a paper on Lost Boys. That's from going um, like first gear to fourth gear. Yeah. And it was, and I was 17, like straight out of Utah. You get, you get colonialism in both right? movies. <laughs> it was just like, you have the, you have the yeah. Europeans in South America and then you have vampires in Los Angeles. Yeah. It, it was just, but they're trying to take over. <laughs> so really, they're almost the same movie. Think about it. I mean, really, their hairstyles were very similar as well. Um, but it was it was just two very different movies. But what I had remembered about both um, is like movie like The Mission. There have been a ton of really great movies since The Mission, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen any movie like The Mission since the mission. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because now where I go, I see movies right now five times a week for screenings. It's movie right. season. And, and I keep okay, I've seen this movie. Okay. I've seen this movie, the mission. When I watched it again, I was just like, I have not seen this movie since this movie, which is very refreshing. Mm-hmm. But I also think because, um, it's so powerful, so passionate and so very, very hard to digest that I'm sure it's the same way to make a movie like that. Yeah. I think yeah. another thing that sets it apart from most other films is that it's based on history. Mm-hmm. Granted that history, the events that actually happened are shifted around a little bit. And, but the, and but the changed. overall is But overall, factual. there was, a, there was Jesuits mm-hmm. but I feel who like, fought the Portuguese and the Spanish yeah. to protect their Yeah, there wasn't a Mendoza per se, but, right. the, but the actual... Big but story like Harriet, is, is Harriet just came out mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a very difficult story. Um, and you watch it on the big screen and a lot of people and, and critics that know the story of Harriet say that it's just a really fluffy movie about a really hard time. Like you don't get, you don't get it. And I was kind of upset about that because I like I watched the movie. I liked it. Um, and I figured, you know, it's not a documentary, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to have a movie like this where you show the history. It doesn't need to be that hard. And then I watched the mission this last week and I was like, okay, they, oh, there is like, they could, they could have dived deeper into Harriet. They could have, I mean, it still shows a very, very hard period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. However, like they, they didn't do enough. And so I got it at that point after I watched the mission again, I'm like, I can see now why the critics that want people to know more about Harriet's story in that time period, how mm-hmm. they were upset about this film. Well, and they do a really good job in this film of depicting a lot of the hard scenes without oh, yeah. going overboard. Like they do it just so that, you know, that, like you get how hard it was and how awful it was. Like when they're taking the one mission that has the, the native priest. Right. And they're stacking the babies up. Oh, I was like, wait, yeah. what are they doing with those? 
And I'm like, I think they're going to kill him. Yeah. Yep. And and they don't show that, but you get the point. It's just, you have these just pile of babies well, and, 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 and slave traders, and so it's, it's raining yeah. while right. they're they're lining yeah. the babies up mm-hmm. on the road. Yeah, and it, it it was awful without like you got how awful and horrible it was without, being, without graphic. It being graphic. And yeah. I think that movie that this movie does a masterful yes. job of doing that. Well, the other thing I love about this movie too is this was shot on location. So when they're at the waterfall, that's actually Iguazu Falls. Um, they're physically trying to climb up that, that wall, um, being in the jungle for months at a time, um, working with native people. I mean, it, it, that to me, there's just so much authenticity to it. I'm immediately sucked into this, into this time, into this world. That already and, adds so many more shooting days and money onto mm-hmm, your, mm-hmm. onto your making of the film is actually being on location like that and oh, having yeah. to deal with everything that comes with being on location. Well, and it's a remote area, not so much now, but at the time there was not a lot of towns around that you could be staying in. I mean, they were camping (laughs) (laughs) while they were out there camping in the jungle, making this movie. Um, I love the cinematography Mm. for this, for this film. The the cinematography was the one Academy award it, it earned. Yeah, it, 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 was, it. it was nominated for best screenplay, best director, best film, uh, best editing, I think best costume. Uh, it won best cinematography. Golden Globe, however, it won for best um, screenplay hmm. and best original score. Oh, okay. Oh, and the see, score. And, and, yeah. and the, and the yeah. score Ooh. Ooh. is, to me... As much as I love the movie, the score, if I had to go to a desert island and I could only take five soundtrack movies with me, this would be one of them. Nice. Because this is uh, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Ennio, Ennio Mor- Morricone. He's, he, he was best known for uh, scoring the spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. love that spaghetti Clint Eastwood starred in. Uh, probably his most iconic score is... Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did Once Upon a Time in the West. He won the Academy Award recently for scoring The Hateful Eight. Ooh. Oh, I didn't realize oh, that awesome. was him. Yes. Oh, okay. That's and while cool. the eight, Hateful Eight is a decent sc- score, it's not. I don't put His it on par score. with The Good and Bad, the Ugly, or Once Upon a Time in the West. Or the mission. Mm-hmm. I felt like when he got the Academy Award for that, it was one of those situations where the Academy was like, you have done an amazing body of work. You probably should have won for the mission. Right. Right. It's more of a lifetime achievement. Award. <laughs> yes. Here you go. Here's your Oscar. Yeah. Kind of like when John Wayne won for um, True Grit. True Grit. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was not his best It film. was not his best role. No, no, it wasn't. But it was kind of like, oh, here you We've go. We've screwed up. We are not, not as much screwed up because I think it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison to say, well, this movie got the Oscar. This movie should have gotten it mm-hmm. because that's subjective. Well, true. Right. Sure. You know, for everyone that says that, that um, Star Wars should have won the Oscar in 1977, you're going to have a group of people come forth and say, no, we like Annie Hall better. Mm-hmm. Right. Two it's totally different movies. <laughs> two totally different movies. <laughs> I like both, but yeah. Yes, but another apples to oranges mm-hmm. comparison. That's true. Right. That's true. And so with Wayne and I think with Morricone and some other situations um, that you can look at it as far as Oscar's history, 
is you can there there are people that that win they deserve it for their work on that particular film but there are from time to time people that win oscars based on their work on a film it's a very noteworthy piece of work they've done but it's not their best sure right but they win an oscar because it's almost like the academy saying look you've done a, an amazing body of work through your career we're going to give you the oscar for this movie but but really it's recognizing everything yes you've done well, and I think one of the things that stands out with this music, with the music in the mission, is how critical a role music plays throughout yes. the story. Yes. Because that's how the Jesuit priests connect with the native people is through music, and that's how they kind of start building that relationship. Right. Is mm-hmm. through right. that. So the music mm-hmm. is so critical and beautiful at the same time. It's it's awesome. In, in the beginning of the film, you have the result of the Jesuit priests going up there, right, to win over the native people with the word of God. The, the love of Christ, whatever. Right. And the priest ends up crucified yes. and sent down the river to the falls, which right. is they basically have rejected everything that he proposed. Absolutely. Which is an amazing piece of cinematography. Oh my yes, it's incredible. Um, but then father Gabriel, Jeremy Irons goes up, plays that beautiful piece of music. I, I think the Gabriel Gabriel's oboe theme mm-hmm. stands up to any piece of, you look through the history of classical music, that melody stands up to anything, in my opinion. I would agree that's with been that, done yeah. through the history of music. Well, it's one that when he started playing it, I'm like, oh, I've heard this before, and it's just so beautiful and just stands out. And it's and then it's a theme that runs throughout the whole film. Right, right. And I had no idea that the whole score I had made the connection for this is that. where it came from. And and it's interesting, whereas the Jesuits use music to win over the the Indians, mm-hmm. the natives. Later on in the film, when the church or the cardinal who's come to South America, mm-hmm. when he makes this decision to turn the territories over to the Portuguese, right? basically dooming the missions, it's music that the Indians use to try and stop the soldiers right. from coming in right. Right. to get them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then at the very end, you have the beautiful shot of them picking up the violin. That's that's from one the of the river. few things they they, they salvage the kids, from the that. surviving kids salvage. Yes. Yeah. Well, and even when when the cardinal is there and they're trying to convince him that these are not, you know, the Portuguese are saying these are not humans; these are animals. animals. And what what do the Jesuits bring? They bring in music. Music. They have them singing the these hymns they're, and everything else. The and, idea was they're taming the savage beast. And then know? when the soldiers are descending upon the mission above the falls, yeah, they're singing. Yes. Yeah, and, and then, the soldiers are like, we don't want to do this. I don't want to have any part of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't like, care. Nobody You're... wants to do this because they're yeah, they're in the church singing. That's mm-hmm. where that's what Gabriel does. Father Gabriel he goes into the church instead of fighting, and right, it's it's a powerful scene. That whole sequence is incredible, and the whole movie just shows the power of music. Yes, and Morricone's score just complements that mm-hmm. so much. Well, there are long stretches of this film with no dialogue. The whole climb up the waterfall with Mendoza yes. is there is very little dialogue. You, you've got um, you've got uh, Liam Neeson's character saying he's done enough. And Father Gabriel's like, but he doesn't think so. And then we've got like another seven minutes of them climbing the waterfall. And it's just pictures and music. And it's engrossing as I mean, it's yeah. beautiful. 
Yeah, the cinematography in this film, you know, with watching there's and I and I don't mind the shaky camera that we have adapted over the last (laughs) 10 years is that we film now is a lot of low shots and shaky camera. And then you go to this film where you would think that you would have shaky camera to show the chaos and you don't, you have these beautiful um, downward shots. So you're up, you're either Mm -hmm. the camera's either above everyone eye level of everyone. And there's so much commotion and and so many things going on. And you feel, you feel that without actually getting the shaky camera. And I, it was such a, a breath of fresh air for me to watch a film like that and to see everything going on, but actually being able to see everything going Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. because it it was before all of this shaky camera stuff, but they still showed that there, you know, that there's a hurry happening because there is so much happening happening. in the frame. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, I can actually see everything that's going on, but I feel the urgency, but I loved, I, I just want another, I want another filmmaker to see this and say, oh, we can make a film where we're not looking up at people and we're not running around with, you know, shaky camera mm-hmm. because it was so beautiful. And the coloring of the film was shots. so beautiful. All those like greens I, just pop. When they're going through the village and they're running, I mean, I know that's a lot of the, the shots, but there's a part where they're running through the village and the sun, it just seems like it gets brighter for a minute, mm-hmm. but there's so much chaos going on, but the coloring that comes in almost makes you feel just centered for mm-hmm. a minute. Mm-hmm. I rewound that like a few times because the camera's looking like down at the road, but you feel like you, you see everything mm-hmm. and the coloring, like the, the sun comes in and it's so beautiful. And, but there's so much chaos, like the, there's so much going on, but the, I was just like, it's so pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, the color. Yeah. I just, I can't get over the cinematography. You mentioned the scene with Mendoza and the, carrying the, the, oh, the, the armor. Yeah. The armor I love that because yeah. yes. a lot of people just assume it's junk, but right. it is represented. It's symbolic of his past life. Yeah. He was a warrior. He was a, a well, soldier. And, and he's carrying that baggage he's with him. He's carrying that yeah. baggage up to make uh, make amends and make repentance for what he's done to these people. And I love that, the symbolism too, of it's it's one of the people that comes over and, yes. And well, they know who he yes. is because yes. he, yeah, because at first they put the knife at his yeah. throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Liam Neeson's character is, is like ready, ready to, to go save him, <laughs> to go save him. And, and Jeremy Irons stops him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful that when he doesn't kill him, cause they talk about it and then he cuts him free. Yeah. And he realizes these people have saved him and, and the symbolism. Now that it's okay there. to let that go. Yeah, that, absolutely. That scene where, He's finally released from his burden, his grief, his sins, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with with who he killed. Right. Um, he he cries, but it's it's joy mixed with sorrow. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. And that one scene is some of the best acting I've ever seen in film. Not mm-hmm. not only incredible. in De Niro's career, but in any film I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that showed the power of Robert De Niro as an actor. Well, I love how that scene just kind of lingers on him and the native is hugging him and it, it, the camera doesn't cut away. It just lets that moment happen, which we don't get a lot of times. It goes kind yeah. of back to the, to the new style of we just very have to quick constantly edits. Be and, move, yeah. Constantly mm-hmm. be moving. And he's still covered in mud. Oh yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. So like metaphorically, even though he's being released of his past life, 
it's not like he's clean immediately, right? Immediately, right. Mm-hmm. yeah. But he's being accepted by these people, right? As who he is, and as who he was, and that's that's kind of the interesting thing because when you watch a movie, you're always introduced to the protagonist first. And when you watch this movie for the first time, you think Jeremy Irons' Father Gabriel is the protagonist because right. that's who you meet first. Right. right. But this is this is Mendoza's story. Mm-hmm. The protagonist is Robert De Niro. Father Gabriel is more like the mentor mm-hmm. role right. in it. And so it's 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 Mendoza who we follow even up till the end of the movie. Right. I mean, he gets shot before Father Gabriel does. Right. But it's still through Mendoza's eyes mm-hmm. where we see what happens to I the love to the that. kind of pacifist yes. group of natives being led by Father Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Because De Niro's been shot. He's dying, but he's not dead yet. Right. And he's watching everything that he helped build. Everything burn. he helped build burn down, but he's also watching what's going to happen to his mentor. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and yeah, and Father Gabriel stays true to his vows that he took yes. to mm-hmm. the end. And he he sees that, and it is interesting when you talk about the protagonist and antagonist because when you're watching the film and you inter- you get introduced to Father Gabriel, he's very clearly you think he's going to be the antagonist, and Mendoza's going or protagonist, excuse me, and then mm-hmm. and Mendoza's set up to be the antagonist. the antagonist. Right? I thought that as you're watching, okay, he's the bad guy that's trying to enslave these people, right? And then he and, and it's really well done. And the antagonist turns out to be the world, yes, mm-hmm. or or. More specifically, the the struggle between church and state. Yes. Right, right. Because it's both the church and the monarchy, and they're represented through the cardinal and also the the pope. Well, the 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 bald um, slave oh, trader. Yes, um, Don Cabeza. Don, Don Cabeza. Cabeza. Yeah. You know he's he's not directly involved with what happens. Right. He's not there with the soldiers, but he's very much. Part of that antagonistic element. Yes. Well, and I, I love that they set this up and I mean, you're rooting for the natives, but you have, you come to an understanding from the church's point of view. The church is like, we cannot allow to have a rebellious sect of Jesuits doing this because of the precedence that's going to set. And the Pope came down and said, we're splitting this on the 45th parallel and everything on this side goes to Spain. Everything on this side goes to Portugal. Um, and if we allow little exceptions, it's going to tear the whole church apart. And so you're like, there is just no winning in this situation for anybody. No. Yeah. And, and it is that power struggle between the church and these in these states in Europe that are Catholic. Right. And and the state, you know, who's got the, the power? Mm-hmm. Because he, when the cardinal came, he already knew what his decision had right. to be. Mm-hmm. The Pope had already said, this is what yeah. you're this going is, to yeah. do. This is what, whether yeah. he but wants he to do it or not. But he didn't want to do it at yeah. the end because he went and he visited the missions and he saw the work that was mm-hmm. being done. And I love the line at the very end where one of the guys says, and thus is the world. And he says, no, thus, thus have, have we made, made the world. world. Yes. yes. Very powerful. And I love I love that letter because it's, it's giving you, because we have the village burning and we just have that big, boom sound over and over and over. And then you have the letter yep. from the Cardinal writing back to the Pope to say, okay, we did what you wanted, but here's what, what happened. Yes. And the Cardinal's another character that kind of takes the film away the con- from the conventions of what we normally see in film, because normally if there's a narrator in a film, again, it's going to be the protagonist, right? But the Cardinal is the narrator of the film because the protagonist 
and the people that you know who who is Mendoza and the people he was with that 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 took him through his journey mm-hmm. in this film they're all dead yeah by the end of the movie spoiler right. alert <laughs> The movie's 33 years old. It's okay to spoil it. And the Cardinal is the only one left alive, but spiritually he's dead. Right. By the end of the film. Right. Well, he even says it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, being a Cardinal, you you want to believe a certain amount of things. And this hit me really hard just because I grew up very religious. And so you don't question you know, just even being a religious person, you don't question what a priest tells you to do. Right. You, you believe it, you do it. He's a cardinal given information from the Pope. And so him going against that or even thinking against that is against everything that he believes in. And then by the end of the movie, he has no idea. I mean, what is he going to do now? Yeah. Right. You know, he everything that he has held dear, everything that he believes in, everything that was his life, he's questioning it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it and so what do you go back to? Right. At that point. That's I, a I really felt good I point. felt so broken for him because like I you know, I used to be Catholic and I'm not anymore. And so I could never guess how he feels, but right. just how I felt when I lost my religion was very sad and I still miss it. But for him, going through all of these emotions and, I mean, everything that happened that's so heavy, and then then what do you do? Do you, do you go back home? Do right. you go do something else? Like, at this point, what do you do? And I just felt so broken for him. That's a really good point. I like that. Well, and, and to encounter these people that that are living what you're teaching, right? I mean, these mm-hmm. Jesuit priests are out there mm-hmm. being the most Christian people, I think, Oh, it could totally. possibly be. Well, they're, also, they're so sincere and genuine. And they're it. also living in a community where not only values are shared, but everything is shared. Right. I was just going to say, there's the scene where they're touring the other mission. And he's like, so who gets the money? And he's like, it's divided equally among the people. And he's like, that's what Jesus wanted. <laughs> well, the the, the well, cardinal says, oh, yeah, there's this, oh, there's there's this radical, there's this radical group yeah. in France that are doing it. And the priest is like, no, well, this is that the, was done by the early Christians, by the early Christians in the New yeah, Testament. But when you look at such a big, I mean, the Pope, they don't share money, right? Right. <laughs> the money goes. So it, it is. It, it reminds me of a business when I right. was uh, watching that scene. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like, OK, there's a head. There's heads of companies. Right. Right. And, and they have all these ideas. And then when I went and watched Ford versus Ferrari, there was a little bit like I just thought about it again because you've got Henry Ford. And you've got all of these people up there that have to put their hands on everything. But then you've got the people that are actually building the car. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of this. You have the Pope and you have all of these people that say, quote unquote, we are doing God's work. And then you go and actually visit people that are, quote unquote, doing God's work. And it's two totally different Mm -hmm. scenarios because you can say something and then you can do something. And what the what the Pope at the time was saying you should do was not what he was doing. He was not the example. You know, reading into some of the history of this money was part of the motivating factor. Oh yeah. Because these missions had a dollar value to them. Mm -hmm. It was always a motive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, during, Mm -hmm. especially during that time with the church, if you know the history of, and I'm going to say the Catholic church, because in Utah, the church is a different church, Um, (laughs) but both very motivating factors of money. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what religion is. Um, And so the Catholic church at the time would only go places for the money. Right. I mean, they would say it was for something else. And so when they said the radical, I, I laughed so hard. And they're like, the radicals. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like what you said about having a company because 
like the CEO of a major company doesn't realize what the every average everyday worker has to go through right. and do. And so they'll say, oh, well, let's just implement this idea without thinking of how is this going to affect the people who are actually the boots on the ground. Yeah. And then you go and you, you go with these people and they're the boots on the ground. They get there and see what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And of course, then you can make an actual decision. Um, and it's just like two totally different instances. And so, yeah, I laughed so hard at that scene. <laughs> they're like, there's these radicals in France. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I thought the scene too was, it was very powerful when, when they're telling the, the native people they've got to leave. Right. Oh, and the Cardinal was yeah. doing that through father Gabriel and the, and, and, and the, I speak for God. Well, yeah, you know, we, God, God wanted us to come out of the jungle yeah. and be here. Well, and now why did he well, change his mind? I can't, I can't speak for God, but I speak for the church. Which is <laughs> God's oh, wait a second. Are we contradicting ourselves through religion? But the amazing part of that scene is Jeremy Irons throughout the whole thing. Because oh, yeah. the way he plays it is so well done. It's well, so he's seething. You can see the disappointment when he hears what the Cardinal says. Because he was hoping, he had hope and faith mm-hmm. that the Cardinal would come out and see everything that they were doing and say, no, we've got we to protect do these this. missions. Right. But instead, he's just now saying the opposite. And you can just see the disappointment. Well, and there is this resentment and kind of anger underneath the surface, but he can't show that. And he's got to do the translating because this is his boss, if you will, yeah. telling him what to do. But then at the end, he's like, I, I can't, I'll join him. You know, he's yeah. like. He defies the church yeah. by by staying with the people mm-hmm. who he has worked so hard to build into this community. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and the line, I mean, there's so much in this movie that can be taken and and placed in a in a kind of an examination of what's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about the post eleven, post nine eleven world that we live in. And that line that sticks out has even stuck out since the first time I saw the movie where Father Gabriel refuses to bless Mendoza when they're preparing to fight the soldiers. And Gabriel says, if might is right, then love has no place in the world. That, it gives me goosebumps. I literally have goosebumps because that line, (laughs) like right now. (laughs) Yeah. And And then he's like, and I can't live in that world. And there's so much in the world right now. Mm Mm-hmm where might is looked upon as the, the right or the only or the necessary way to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you can almost feel like father Gabriel is saying that about our time. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's very translatable. It's heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just need to take a minute. but, But to me it is, it's heavy, but it is such a, it's uplifting in a way too, because these, these guys, both of them, and I would ask my students, I would pose them a a question is, did Gabriel's plan, was that the correct plan or was Mendoza's plan the correct plan? And the kids would be stuck. Like some would be on this side, some would be on that side. And so then we'd discuss, okay, well, Mendoza's being true to himself and to who he is and what his beliefs are. Gabriel's doing the same thing. They both end up at the same result but they were true to their convictions. Yeah. And so then it's a mix of the two. There was no way to win this situation, but both of them stayed true to their beliefs of who they were. And it was interesting how the Indians <clears throat> went into two factions as well. Yes. You had those who didn't want to fight, who were with Father Gabriel, 
And then you had those who were the warriors mm-hmm. of the, the tribe. Right. Who followed um, Mendoza and the other priests. Yeah, no and, other priest and, and, and preparing, Everybody joins and preparing, Mendoza. Yeah, and, the, and they make the preparations for battle. I, I, I'll... I'll be honest, when I first saw this movie and maybe Return of the Jedi conditioned me because I had just come out a few years before. Okay. I didn't I'll know that I didn't, I didn't know the historical events uh-huh. that that inspired this film. I was expecting the Indians to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean nobody I was, expected I was, I was expecting the underdog to win because right. it was on their territory. They were setting these traps, they were camouflaging themselves in the boats to, to attack the the, well, and in the, the movies the, the good guys win yeah yeah and and I I was totally devastated mm-hmm. yeah that was when the, when the Indians and the priests lost but yeah, I, th- was, I think it was so poignant I think yeah, if they would have yeah. made this movie any other way because you know you you take a story to Hollywood and you hope for the best and sometimes you know you have to Hollywoodify a movie mm-hmm. and you you have the point and you have the story but at the end you still have some sort of nicety so that people can leave the theater with a smile on their face. Right. I like the fact that with this movie, it was the truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was the hard truth. And that I, well, that's and they, what I love. They about do it. give you that little glimmer of hope at the end with the kids picking up the violin and going back into the jungle. Right. Um, so they're going to carry on and build a new generation. Um, but it's not the traditional happy no, ending. No, but they give you just a little bit of hope there at the end. To in fact, end. when the movie came out on video, VHS. <laughs> yes. I remember those days. I rented it because I was so excited to show it to my dad. And he was upset at the end of the film. Yeah. Mm. Because of what happened to mm-hmm. these Indians and to the priests and how the, the church just let them be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, it's, does he know about well, the Spanish inquisition? Well, yeah. <laughs> well yeah. no one expects the Spanish inquisition. Well, yeah, but I, know, but I think kidding. that was his emotional right. reaction right. to the film. Right. It was that yeah. powerful. Well, yeah. When you watch a story on film and you, you get invested in these people and these are the people you're cheering for throughout right. the film, you want, you expect them to win. Well, reality doesn't play out that way. We, I watched yeah. it with my wife last night and as they all died, she said, wait, they all die. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah. history. I mean, this is what happened. <laughs> and she knew that. Like, she's but it's my still, wife's very smart. She right. knew that historically that's what happened. But, but in, when you're invested, but, yeah. mm, but in right. most movies, they will stop before that point and then they'll put on the thing. Now, all these this people died. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, they'll yes. stop you at a point where you feel okay with what has happened. That's what Hollywood usually does. And I like when a movie will push you past the point. The only, I was, as I was watching this film, it made me think, um, of uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ Mm -hmm. because it's got very similar coloring. It's got very similar camera um, angles, but also if you ever saw Passion of the Christ one, you usually can't watch that movie twice. Right. Um, But you can almost smell and taste that film Mm -hmm. um, because he gives you everything. You can hear the ripping of the skin. You can hear you like, and with this film, it's so raw, not to the point where you feel physically uncomfortable but by the end of the movie you feel mentally uncomfortable oh yeah because i just thought to myself like how many other stories are there out there like this that i don't know about right yeah, yeah. uh-huh and the Absolutely. ending and the ending may have contributed to its poor box office because think about yeah. this yeah this won the top prize at the Cannes film festival yes. right mm-hmm. it 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 
received a half dozen Academy Award nominations. It was released in October of 86, but I saw it in 87 because it had, with all the awards it won, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of given an, uh, an extended, run, a, in extended the run in the theater, and it still flopped, and I wonder if it's because of the ending. Yeah. People, the people who saw it were telling people it's a downer. Yeah. Don't, I can't recommend it. And people stayed away from it. I think it was the yeah. time period. So it came out in what, 1985? 86. 86. 1986 and 1989 were two huge years for movies. And none of the ones that were big box office hits were downers. It's not that, that time period, that period of time, I guess it was, I think it was just released at the wrong time. That's possible. Too. Um, I don't yeah. know that it was the ending because I think if you were to release that film in the early 90s where we all had more money than we needed and we were all given, you know, we were mm. it was a different time period. Well, I think it would have it we were a little bit more cynical. In the we 90s. were more cynical. We were, 80s, we were, we more, we were drinking yeah. more in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't old enough. But just the, you know, music. Just, it was uh-huh. at the middle of the we 80s. Got grunge, we got yeah, the middle of the 80s. We wanted clamor and pop. And we wanted things to build us up because it was a it wasn't a good time. And I think that movie, I think if you were to have re-released that movie in the 90s it probably would have done better well and, and you look at stuff that that came out in the 80s i mean we it was about the underdogs winning yeah. More oh yeah and more and we well it was we also like more stories. about it was the underdogs but if it wasn't you know the uh, like the godfather and stuff like that yeah. it was mm-hmm. it was back to the future and yeah. it was like all these movies that took us it took us away from it was escapism. Adventures is babysitting. The, econo- the economy during the during the mid eighties was not a good economy. Right. We we were struggling, and I just think people don't like to see those struggling movies when they're struggling. You know, and I just had the thought: what if Schindler's List had been released in the mid eighties? It wouldn't oh, have done. Would not yeah. have done I also well. think yeah. that I also think it would have caused would have a huge made. controversy as well. I, I think that mm-hmm. I think. That, that it wouldn't have been the same. But, I agree but again, that. this was released the same year that Platoon was released, mm-hmm. which was not a happy movie either. No, that's right. awesome. But Platoon was a big box office hit, and Platoon won the Oscar for Best Picture. But the thing about Platoon is now you've got grandpas and their sons going to see a movie together and sharing that bonding moment. Anytime you have a war film, especially like mm-hmm. Platoon, it's going to be successful. Um, like, And this is Midway versus, we were just talking about Dr. this. Sleep. Dirt, versus Dr. Sleep midway winning at the box office is hor- the, that movie's not a good movie but the fact they released it at the right time where the country's all up on wanting to be super um you know heroic right patriotic. now patriotic mm-hmm. and yeah. it's right during veterans day you know where is Dr. Sleep's the better movie oh by um, far you yeah. know platoon was a fantastic movie but you're releasing it at a time where you want the nostalgia you want, you know, during the mid eighties, we had a lot of political things going on. A lot of people wanting to be American. Right. Um, and right. so, and it was where it was in history. You still had people that understood that story that could take someone and say, look at this is what, what I experienced. What I, what I so, and, and yeah. Charlie Sheen. Lived. And Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't die at the end. Right. Yeah. He lived at the end. So I think, yeah, I, but I do like the, the thing about Schindler's List. If it was released, released in 1986 instead of 1997, I don't think it would have I agree with that. done the same. Yeah. But the ending is hard as the ending is. There is still a little bird. <laughs> At the end, that mm-hmm. they are the Jesuit priests are to this day still fighting mm-hmm. to protect the native people. And I thought 
it was hard because they lost. But it, the, did they lose, though? I mean, those they lost people the lost battle, their lives. Not the war. But they're still fighting the fight. Right. right. Yeah. And it also ends with that scripture from John mm-hmm. in the New Testament. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think in the King James Version, it says, the darkness comprehendeth it not. Right. That's... That's a little sliver of hope too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if if you if you read the New Testament, light is often equated with truth, right? And it is to say, okay, these people lost this battle, they lost this opportunity to have this community they built and their lives, but the truth would come out right. sooner or later. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't seen this movie. It is highly recommended by me. Go check this out. And it's it's not a fun, hey, it's Friday night, let's put on a movie type of movie. No, but but it wanna, is it's a good it's, movie. it's a masterclass in cinematography, in scoring, in acting, uh, production values. It's incredible. I wish we could get it back up on the big screen, like how they're bringing oh, yeah. they're bringing like Casablanca back and all these movies that you can go see, you know, for um, Fathom events. I wish they would because seeing this on the big screen is oh, yeah. a whole lot better than seeing it on. Depending on how big your TV is, I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> we had a, we had a 35 millimeter screen. print up at the U nice. and I got to see it there. That was my first experience with it. Wow. That's and cool. then when I would teach it, I would show it on the, uh, on the, uh, laser disc because <laughs> it was better quality than the VHS. So. Well, you have to flip it at one point. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep, I sure did. <laughs> laser discs. That's funny. But the quality was way better than VHS, and I wanted my students to kind of get that experience that I had right. of seeing this in its best quality. Well, and the, and the fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes is only 65%. Oh, oh my gosh. And yeah, so that really tells low. me, uh, I think, a lot more people – people that didn't have a chance to see it or maybe weren't even born at the time it came around, they should really give this movie a chance. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I, I think part of the problem is I think people would appreciate it and would really enjoy it. But when you present it as it is a long, hard movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that turns a lot of people off because we want to see something happy. And we are so much of the entertainment industry right now is built a hundred percent on Escapism. And what you need to do is you need to watch this on a Friday night, and then you need to on Saturday night watch The Irishman. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Because The Irishman feature. on Netflix is three and a half hours long, and it has half of the cast that's in this movie. That's true. <laughs> well, well, I don't want to do it tonight then. You can't watch that. Okay, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's on Netflix now. Yeah. Well, and another movie that Roland Joffe, the director did, I think before the mission was a movie called The Killing Field. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was Which before. is not, again, not a happy movie, but if you if you watch the mission and want to see something else by the by the director, I, that's very highly recommendable. Yeah. Uh, Said about the uh, the massacres that happened in Cambodia. Right. And it's got a very strong, dramatic performance from John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. That's which, one of my which, favorite Malkovich performances. Right. Uh, as far as the screenwriter, Robert Bolt, who started out as a playwright before he before he he started working in films uh he did a play and then the the screenplay for a movie that was released in the 60s called a man for all seasons oh yeah and that's a wonderful movie and that has some very poignant and some very hard truths in that movie that can be really compared to to the world we live in now so those are those are two of my recommendations if you watch the mission and want to see more from the creators those are two movies that are very worth checking out absolutely nice and 
and our fans, I think, are are smart enough that they'd enjoy the mission. I oh, think totally, so. absolutely. So our fans are smarter well, than I, us I love most the of fact the time. That, yeah, we, that's absolutely. We true. can talk <laughs> about the Avengers, and we can talk about Star Wars, and we can geek out, and we can have fun, but. We like when we did um, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List, we talk about some of these heavier, yeah. important films because that's part of who we are as well. well these are yeah. the movies that make us. Exactly. Familiar, so. All right, Blake, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, this what was do you so much the fun. Film, Blake? Yeah, we got to get a letter grade from you. Oh, letter yeah. grade? Yeah, you're yep. going to yeah, grade, grade the film. Oh, A minus. A minus? Yeah. I would go A. A. I'd go yeah. solid A on that one. I have a B plus on this one. Okay. B plus. I'd probably give it an A as well. It's a solid movie. I mean, mm-hmm. there's really, yeah. it's, it's not, not the a funnest. happy fun movie, but it's a solid <laughs> movie and you should definitely watch it yeah. because sometimes those are the movies that stick with you a little bit longer. The only yeah. reason I give it a B plus is because I do think that seeing it on the big screen, um, is much better than, than seeing it in your house. Yeah. And don't so watch I, this on your iPhone. Yeah. No, don't watch this on your iPhone. You'll miss a ton of great cinematography. That, that, but I mean, you'll, you'll still enjoy it on your TV at home. But for me, I just think the experience on the big screen is better. Oh, Not every Dolby movie surround. translates just as well at home, but I think you'll, you'll enjoy it at home. Yeah. Awesome. Well, 2021 is an anniversary year for that film. Oh, that would so be so let's try, let's try and get it out. I would so be down with that. Right. Absolutely. I'll start working on that right now. All right. Right. Say, well, well, call up your friend Steven. We're going to do what we can. I'll call up my friend Steven and see what I can do. <laughs> see what Steven's up to. You, you know what? If we could there. get Tom Holland to do like an Instagram post about the movie, we'd get that in All no right, time. I'll call up Tom and see what he's doing. <laughs> he's not still in your backpack, is he? No. Oh, okay. She lets him out every once in a while. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Blake, again for being here. Yes, thank you, Blake. Um, We are Movies That Make Us. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Follow us in all the places. You can send us feedback to podcast at moviesthatmakeus.com. And we won't see it in the movies. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.